It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, episode 20, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. I am your host, Michael Kist, and joining me, as always, somebody who respects me more than anybody else in the business. Don't let him fool you. He is Kyle Posey. Kyle, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. Um, everything you said, as always, is true. So uh, <laughs> glad to be on this for another week, man. Get a... Two more, two more rounds of games left, man. This season's flown by. Yeah, conference championship weekend is ahead of us, and let's set the table for the show today. Uh, we are going to hit you up with some uh, news updates at the top, specifically the Patrick Mahomes of it all. Then we are going to pitch it to a great interview I had with Seth Galina of Pro Football Focus. We're really going to dig into Brandon Staley, including what he did with the Rams as defensive coordinator, what he might do with the Chargers as their new head coach, and there's some bonus quarterback talk in there as well then of course it's kyle's defensive mvps of the divisional round and we'll probably sprinkle in some conference championship game analysis we'll see uh, before we get into all of that here is your friendly re- reminder to rate review and subscribe to the sb nation nfl show tell a friend get them in on the conversation it really helps others discover the feed and we hope you'll help us out with that if you enjoy what we're doing here a uh, first news item of the day As expected, New Orleans Saints tight end coach and assistant head coach Dan Campbell, a.k.a. PC Principal, is officially joining the Detroit Lions as their head coach. We'll be digging more into that on this feed in the future. That was just announced this morning. The second news item, which is the most pressing in terms of playoffs, we are on high alert with Patrick Mahomes' watch as he tries to work his way back from the concussion he suffered against the Browns. What we know as of this recording is that Adam Schefter is reporting that Mahomes has taken some quote-unquote big steps in his trek to clear the concussion protocol, which Mahomes is in, and there are different phases to that protocol. I'm not exactly sure which phase that he's in, but it sounds promising for Mahomes after he looked mighty wobbly this weekend. He is expected to practice today. And the capacity in which he practices could give us some clues as to which phase he is in. Let's really break this down. There are five total phases. The first one involving practice is phase three. This means if he does participate today as expected, he's moved from phase two of aerobic exercise to phase three, which is football-specific exercise. This has a time limit, which is 30 minutes or less with on-hand monitoring. I tend to believe he's in phase three as the term very light was thrown into the reporting today talking about him practicing. But as you guessed, if it is longer than 30 minutes, and again, it doesn't sound like he will be, but keep an eye out for like, for like this on like Thursday. If, if it's a full practice, that could indicate that he's in phase four, which is club-based non-contact training. Once he passes that, phase five is full football activity and clearance. This is when he must be examined by the independent neurological consultant assigned to the team. If the consultant and the team physician agree, and you can guess what the team physician is going to say in this case, but if they agree that the concussion has been resolved, then Mahomes would be clear to play this weekend. For updates on that, you'll want to check out the daily kickoff tomorrow morning here at the SB Nation NFL show as we're on full-on Mahomes Watch 2020. Kyle, all of that said, do you believe for a second that Mahomes isn't playing? Because, I mean, thanks for the dog and pony show NFL and the thin veneer of caring and all, uh, but do you buy that this is even in doubt? They played the regular season through a pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is going to play in the AFC Championship. If they did not have a Weeks 18 
um, after po- you know postponing any of those games, like the Titans, those Titans, Ravens, those Cowboys Browns. games, yeah. we are going to play. We are going to see Patrick Mahomes, whether he ha- doesn't have a foot, whether he is just partially still in the concussed, like he's going to play. I don't think there's any doubt that we are going to see one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL play in the AFC Championship based on everything the NFL has gone through. I mean, it's all smoke and mirrors right now. Everybody's just talking, you know, having a story, but he's going to play. Yeah, and they're talking about, like, it's a different type of concussion. And, like, maybe because, like, <laughs> I didn't see his head hit. But, like, look, I, I, I've i done some training. I've been choked out. I have never been that wobbly due to, like, having my air flow cut off after the fact, like, after I woke up. Like, that's – I it's so weird that we're talking about it like this. So, all right. I don't buy it. Kyle doesn't buy it. We think Mahomes is playing. We'll keep you updated here. Uh, the third piece of news, and this is the, the final piece of news before we get into the analysis here. Uh, news broke today that Philip Rivers is in fact retiring. The 39 year old, uh, tossed 421 touchdowns over his 17 year career. And his statement was pretty daggum great. Uh, Kyle, I'll always remember Philip as the guy that's down a score. No timeouts, totally frantic, less than two minutes to go, and he might win it or he might not, but that's how he lived, and it's only right that that's how he went down against the Bills. And that's a fact, by the way. Uh, I've only checked the 21st century for this, but I imagine it holds true for perhaps the entire history of the NFL. Nobody has more attempts down a score less than two minutes to go than Phillip Rivers. The man died how he lived. And, of course, I'll remember the funky throwing motion, the gorgeous seven balls on corner routes, the hilarious non-cursing, and the fact that uh, he loves his wife very much, if you catch my drift. Uh, Kyle, Philip Rivers, thoughts on the guy? Yeah, man. Congrats to Philip Rivers. He had a great career. Now that yeah. he has retired, he will finally have time to start a family. So best of luck to him. <laughs> um, I Start a family. <laughs> Now we get down to the real business, right? <laughs> right? That was all just pregame, you know? All right. So as Rivers, the player, man, I, I think he got a little bit of a bad rap because of those things that you just mentioned. So everybody remembers the last minute, um, all of the chaos that he would be down the game. But he was a really, really, really good quarterback. And he yeah. was a great quarterback. And he probably should be a Hall of Famer. Um, even this year, for as much of, you know, as much as we joke about it, like his arm punts down the field, he is throwing some phenomenal passes out towards the sideline. So I really like him, man. And I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, there, there has been as much pushback, but I mean, that just kind of is what it is for what, you know, how Twitter is. Everybody, the first thing you talk about when a player is the, when, what he does bad, but yeah, he, here's my question to you. Do you think he's going to be a Hall of Famer? Yes, and I think he belongs to be in there over Eli Manning. I think if you look at at their entire careers next to each other, the regular season passing, which is a gigantic, gigantic sample, Philip Rivers stomps Eli Manning, and it's not close. And then you look at their playoff stats, they're exactly the same over a 12-game sample. There's two rings for Eli. I think it's how heavily you weigh them determines who you put above who. I think this is only a controversy for like Giants fans. I think that's it. I think 80% of everybody else agrees that he belongs in over Eli. And I think he does belong in the Hall of Fame. What about you? No, he should be a Hall of Famer. Just if we're going, it's essentially based on stats anyway. And he's near the top in a lot of those stats. So yeah, he should be in the Hall of Fame because of what he did and because of what he did with the rosters while there are other franchise quarterbacks, while there are other Hall of Fame quarterbacks, not just franchise quarterbacks. Like he held his own. He made the Chargers like a playoff contender each year while Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were still loaded on their side. So yeah, he he should definitely get all the credit that he deserves. 
I have one quick story on on Rivers before we pitch it to our interview with Seth Galina. Uh, when I first started to get into the NFL draft, it was back in like 2002, 2003. And I mean, I was so into it. I was recording like draft shows on VHS tapes and rewatching them and reading every piece of literature I could get my hands on in terms of the draft stuff. So I've been like a draft nick for like a couple decades now almost. But when Philip Rivers was coming out in 2003, he had a bowl game against Kansas, I believe. And I, and I guess he went to his coach and he wanted to he wanted to call the plays. He wanted to call the plays live, which, you know, like college quarterbacks really don't do that. So the coach told him, okay, fine. If you score on the first drive with you calling plays, we'll let you call the plays for the rest of the game. Not only did he score on the first drive, he threw for 475 yards and five touchdowns with no interceptions. Unreal. Like, if you don't believe that that guy is going to have a great career after that right. story, like, <laughs> I, I don't know what you're looking at, man. So, uh, shout out to Philip Rivers again on a fantastic uh, career. Love the guy, but I miss his crazy facial expressions and arguments with the refs and, and random freakouts. But uh, it was a fun career for Philip, and we wish him all of the best. And as I alluded to uh, throughout the show here, Seth Galina of Pro Football Focus joined us to talk about the Los Angeles Chargers head coach Brandon Staley and what it all means from a philosophical and schematic standpoint. So let's kick it to that conversation right now. Seth, welcome into the SB Nation NFL show. How you doing, brother? I'm great and um, excited to be talking to you, my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Three days ago, the Los Angeles Chargers hired Los Angeles Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley to be their head coach. But before we get into that fit, tell me, what was Staley able to do with the Rams that led him to being such a hot name in the search for a head coach after so very little time in the NFL, I think it's only four years, what was he able to do there that that led to this promotion? Well, they put together a pretty good defense. I mean, they were number one in so many defensive categories, whether it was like, you know, the old stuff we talk about, like total yardage. They were like top five, top three uh, EPA per play, both the run and the pass. I think they were top three EPA per play per pass. And then I think it's definitely in the top 10 in uh, per run also. So like they were like a legitimately awesome defense this whole season. It it seemed maybe like it it was all a mirage early because they had the NFC East on their schedule for the right. first like you know like three of the first like five games or something like that. Then it turns out that they were a really good defense, and he brought in some concepts that I think a lot of colleges were using for a while now. Yeah, like you said, so four years in the league, and before that he was the DC of an FCS team and then a division three team and they won the national right. championship in division three. So he still, he still like has all those, those ideals, those ideas about how to play defense. And he kind of brought that stuff to the NFL kind of all together. And I think there's a lot of people who have done certain uh, aspects of his defense, whether it's from the front, from the coverages, stuff like that. But I think him putting it all together um, was really interesting. And then I think the next part is just, this is what I wrote about in my article was, you know, he's doing stuff that is a week to week thing. Like, mm -hmm. hey, we're playing against this. So we need to be doing this instead of just saying, uh, OK, well, we're going to run our defense, make a little few like every coach is going to go into a game plan, making a little like like minor adjustments for sure. You don't have a choice. But he, he seemed to make a little more more than just cosmetic adjustments, at least. 
So I remember early in the season uh, after they played the Eagles and the Eagles are like, you know, this heavy, you know, gun zone RPO team. And I was talking to a, a mutual friend of ours, Nate Tyson. He was like, hey, is this like, and he, you know, he was like, you're looking, asking us, um, it's me and some other people. Like, hey, is this tight defense? Like, is, yeah. is this the thing we're seeing in college football? And he's, and we're like, yeah, that that's exactly it. And then a few weeks later, I had to do some research research for them, and I noticed that their nickel he was playing often outside of the number two receiver, the slot receiver. Mm-hmm. And normally in the NFL, you're getting that player who's lined up inside of him because he's got to be part of the box to a certain degree. He's out of the box, but he's like, you know, he's he he's got one eye on the running game. But now yeah. they're playing him outside of that player, which means he's not part of the run game. Which means now the safety is part of the run game. So just changing stuff up a bit, and then and then Stephen Ruiz, our our mutual enemy, uh, wrote a story, <laughs> wrote a story about how they played the Seahawks in the first game, and he was playing pass first on first down because yes. the Seahawks are a pass first team on first down this year. So instead of running that three four tight front eight, they were getting in the gaps, they were getting after it. So I think just and then and then you look at what he did against the Packers, it didn't work, but. What he did against the Packers was say, hey, we're going to live in this insanely light box. Yeah. It's literally like a 5-0 they played. And the deep safety, you know, that one of the half-field safeties was rotating in and trying to be the, the the kind of the linebacker from depth. So it's like very three very four, – four very different defenses that he was able to, 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 to get to throughout the year. And I think that's interesting just from a, hey, I, I'm, I have something that I like, but I'm always willing to adapt it to who I'm playing. Yeah, I, I really like his philosophy when it comes to that, especially with going with the lighter boxes and whatnot. And, and and he's talked about this, you know, not giving up the explosive plays. Like, hey, if you want to drive 14 plays, 15 plays down the field, man, go for it. You're going to have to execute on all of that without any setbacks. Uh, fantastic at limiting those those shot plays and adjusting from week to week. But now, how do you respond to the criticism of Staley that that is out there from some people uh, that he was only able to do what he was able to do with the Rams because he had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey? He trusts Aaron Donald to win one on one in a box so he can do different things elsewhere. He can put resources elsewhere. He can do what he does with Jalen Ramsey and have him shadow and roll coverage elsewhere to help things out. How much does that impact your opinion of what he was able to do this season? Does it bother you at all? Well, I mean, go find me a defensive coordinator who had a top 10 defense who didn't have good players on it. Like, you just can't. (laughs) That doesn't exist. It's fair. So, and, you know, Wade Phillips was there for for Donald for all those years and I guess half a year with – with Jalen Ramsey and the defenses were really good. Like they went to the Super Bowl. They uh, last year they were like mid table, I guess. But you know, overall the, the Wakefield d- defenses were really good. And then Staley went and took that to another level. Now sometimes you just need a fresh voice in there. Mm. You know, we're always going to go to Bill Belichick when it comes to this stuff, but he's going to end up with a whole bunch of Hall of Famers on defense, especially even in those early dynasty years. Yeah. And then you know, his defense in 2019 has the best corner, has yeah. some people that we probably won't end up talking about, but have really good players elsewhere in the secondary. So, yeah, I mean, you look, it's it's just hard to to separate this two, which it's is why impossible. it doesn't doesn't mean it's absolutely going to make him a great hire in. In Los Angeles, well, it might be a great hire, but I don't know even the success. We don't know, right? But I think he did enough to show that that he can call a good defense at least. I mean, because there are definitely some tools there with the Chargers in terms of pass rushing weapons. I think there's some great tools there. Derwin James is an All Pro move piece if he's on the on the back end and healthy. What's your best idea of 
what Staley can do with the Rams and how it translates or transforms when he's with the Chargers. So the, the first thing that I thought about when this happened was the insane difference between what the Chargers were doing under Gus Bradley and now what they're going to be doing under Brandon Staley. Because Gus yes. Bradley coming off the the Pete Carroll tree, I mean, I know it's cover been a three. few stops, uh, you know, since since he's been in Seattle, but they run more cover three probably than the Legion of Boom Seahawks did. Right. Like, this is like, they will are play one defense. The funny thing is, though, now was Gus Bradley the DC in 2018? I believe he was when they played against the Ravens in the playoffs. They were running some of that college tight three, four stuff because they were saying, well, we're playing against this Ravens team. This is like the seventh start of Lamar Jackson's career. And they're like, yes. all right, well, look, we, this guy can't throw the football at all. Let's play a three, four tight. You know, let's stop the run. They were probably weren't running. You know, the Ravens were probably still. We're getting off top a little bit, but the Ravens are probably still running like more of a zone-based offense. Now, now the Ravens have changed a bit to to that like gap stuff. So, like, all right, well, let's run this tight. Let's put it in there. So they ran it, and and Joey Bosa came in uh, from an edge rushing position, played inside more like closer to where Aaron Donald played this season. Yeah. So there's there's ability there to morph those players into what Staley wants. With that said, do you want Joey Bosa to play four I? For a whole season, uh, no, <laughs> right? Like no. <laughs> but but you're right though because you you had asked us in in the chat, me and Mark Schofield and Benjamin Solak are in there, and you had said, hey, when when they played the Ravens, you know, back in 2018, did Bosa play at four eye? And when we talk about four eye listener, we're talking about an inside shade on the on the tackle, so he's lined up, you know, on the inside shoulder of the tackle where Bosa would normally be lined up outside of that tackle. So, but you're right. That's where Aaron Donald plays a lot. So you you have the ability to do that in certain situations. And I think that's the key there, right? Right, exactly. Like, I, I, I don't know if we're going to go see game one, play one, <laughs> uh, you know, like Melvin Ingram and, and, and Joy Bosa lined up, uh, you know, as nose tackles. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but the ability to more to, to do that time to time, if you need it for a whole game because you're playing against a certain team, then there you go. But yeah, it's Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. Like you need those guys on the edge. It's it's the NFL. You need edge rushers. I think the idea, like I was saying before, is hey, he adapted to each game. I think you'd you'd imagine he'd be able to adapt his defense to the players he has. And like you said, there's good players in the secondary too, Derwin James. And and one of the things I noted, you know, I talked about how they were using the safety against the Packers as like a kind of a pseudo linebacker from depth. Hey, Maybe that's Derwin James. Like maybe that's a guy yes. who you who's a, maybe a little better than John Johnson, who I think had a good season. But maybe Derwin James can play that position better, weak side safety, mulling around, muddying up the reads, doing stuff like that. I think that would be really interesting for them. Um, I, honestly, the problem with the Chargers is not going to be the defense. <laughs> like, like, the, like I think Brandon Staley did really great things with Los Angeles. The fact that they didn't go out and get an offensive coach to yeah. to pair with Justin Herbert or and now, but and now that means that whoever this guy hires as his OC has got to be got to be good right like that's the main thing like it doesn't even matter like all we're it's funny because all we're talking about is defense when it with this team it doesn't even matter yeah like the only thing that matters is who he hires as his offensive coordinator with that sorry to cut you off but what's your take on a defensive head coaching hire like in general because from what I've seen on Staley and and what kind of Somebody called him Belchekian in his ability to understand both sides of the ball, partly because he played quarterback for Dayton uh, a while back, I guess. Uh, but what's your uh, opinion of hiring DCs to to be HCs? Because 
it's still all about the offensive coordinator, right? And then not losing that offensive coordinator. Like the Bills got away with one with not losing Brian Dable this year to the when he was like one of the hottest names that was out there. So what's your take on defensive-minded head coaches? I think that what you said about at least not like having a, an OC, that one of the problems is like, like you said, it's just not losing that OC. Like you could, yeah. it doesn't matter if the guy is, if the, if the head coach is a, is a defensive guy, because look, I, like I've been around football a long time. Head coaches are administrators. Like, yeah. sorry, they're administrators. The good ones are able to be able to, to, to do both. Like Sean Payton and Belichick for a while, obviously he doesn't even call the defense anymore, but you know, we knew he's still involved. With game, they're all involved with game planning. And stuff. Yeah. But like just not losing. So whoever he hires as OC, he's got to keep him around because we look at, like you mentioned, Dable and, and Josh Allen. I was talking about protections with someone recently and how, you know, you look at quarterbacks. And so Drew Brees did this in his putrid last ever football <laughs> game. Uh, he made a protection call with about three seconds left in the play clock, which said, they were probably in a similar call before he made the change. But what he did was, and I remember they talked about it on the broadcast, but he said, ram, 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 about like yeah. three seconds before the play call ended. And they end up picking up the, the Buccaneers blitz. And ram, I believe, um, just tells the guard, the center, and then the, the other guard and tackle to all go in one direction. Right. And then all we'll live with whatever's happening in the other direction. So I believe that's what Ram is. But the fact that he could do it in like he waits and waits and waits for you to figure out your what you're doing on defense, waits for you to show your hand. And then with three seconds left, he can go. He can make that change, be able to snap the football, catch it and then and then do the hardest thing in sports, which is like, you know, throw the football accurately. So like when I look at Josh Allen, I'm like, okay, well, here's a guy who could not like that's not not something you do in college a lot for any quarterback. Yep. Josh Allen was also not good in college. He right. was not good at, at the beginning. But having Brian Dable by his side for three years means terminology doesn't change. Hmm. Means means ideas. Hey, when we see this, look, we're always we're always going to counter with this by us. Mm-hmm. That is super important. Um, just having that confidence, and then you see what's happened with Josh Allen. Now, obviously, his accuracy has gotten a, a million times better. And that's and, a, and that's that, you know a credit to Josh, yeah. And it's a credit to Josh, but then you you add in the fact that he, that the continuity in the OC with Dable has helped so much, and it's going to continue to help now that he's staying there. That's where you are with Justin Herbert now, where it's like, okay, I talked to a former NFL quarterback, and he thinks next year is going to be. I mean, there is there's always a sophomore slump, you know, potentially, but he thinks next year with Justin Herbert is going to be interesting because now you're going to get crowd noise. Now yeah. you can't just sit back there and say I'm just playing seven on seven. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think I thought I don't know if I agree with that to tell you the truth, but like I thought that was an interesting point. Um, so yeah, now you just that that continuity. You can't go and find a guy. It's like you're gonna go and find a guy, and they're gonna be, you know, they're gonna end up what second in division behind the Chiefs. Maybe they'll make the wild card, and then now you go lose that OC again. Yeah, because you did good enough like that. That would scare me a bit if I'm the Chargers fan, because it's really all about making sure Justin Herbert continues to stay comfortable and continues to be a guy who can play in this league. So, you know, I'm a big I'm a big history guy. And the, the way you said that kind of reminded me of this idea of institutional memory, where you look at World War One, World War Two, and the Russians come in and they're awful to start They're They're just 
terrible, but like they get more imposing and more dominant as the war goes on. Same thing with the Romans. There were wars where they entered where, you know, they hadn't had anything going on for a bit and they come into it and they're sloppy and they're, and they're bad. It's that institutional memory instilled by a, a general, which, you know, if Staley's a good general, then that's going to happen over the years. But you need that on offense with your quarterback as well. You need that institutional memory. Uh, totally random question, but I'm going to ask Kyle Posey this later in the show. And you were a QB guy before you were a PFF guy. Which which quarterback is playing the best football right now of the ones that remain in the playoff hunt? It's hard because I think all – well, three. I mean, we don't know about Mahomes right now. And honestly, he hasn't been – Mahomesian the past right. like two months so like let's let's take him out and then obviously the injury those the, the the other three you know between Brady Allen and Rogers are playing at such an insanely high level and it's the reason why those three teams are are part of the final four yeah right it's a reason why Drew Brees is not part of the final four and and that's a really deep and good Saints team that that unfortunately is not in a championship game because the quarterback couldn't play and hasn't been able to play for for a few months now. Arguably the best roster in the uh, in the league outside of quarterback. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. We're done talking about the Saints. I'm over it. <laughs> so Brady, Allen, and Rogers. I I'm gonna. Okay, the answer is Rogers. Yeah, like that's the answer. But I want to give a shout out to Josh Allen, who we talked about, who I think has been on this. Now they didn't score a bunch of points against the Ravens. That's a really good defense, obviously, that they played against. Um, he was they pushing didn't. the ball down the field. He had one of the uh, highest average intended air yards on the week. And he was still trying to push the ball down. I respected the heck out of it, to be honest with you. And, like, you wonder if if that, you know, Collinsworth, my boss, uh, my friend, <laughs> talked about it. Let me, let me pick up that, na- that name that you dropped. <laughs> he talked about it during the broadcast where it was like, well, you know what? Every time they, each quarterback throws in this direction in this windy field, the the ball is just sailing on them like crazy. Yes. So it's like at first it looked like old Josh Allen. It did. And then you're like, and then you're like, okay, well maybe we'll get, now after it's funny. So if if this was happening last year and he was sailing these balls, you're like, oh, this guy's this is just Josh Allen. This is just who he, he is. Can't can't complete deep balls, underthrow, overthrow, wide. You know, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter because he hasn't shown us. He hasn't earned the excuse. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and now this year you're like you're like, oh, it's the win. Yeah. Because Josh Allen's the greatest. <laughs> quarterback of all time so like yeah it's just a win like no problem we we know josh allen is 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 the best quarterback so i just wanted to give a shout out to him i think yeah. the accuracy like i said earlier like we know rogers we know brady we know mahomes we know how great they are brady being this old and still getting it done i think is incredible and it really someone was saying this the other day like we didn't realize that he was a freak when he came out and he had you know that famous picture of him in the combine wearing a shirt and he looks like a schlub yeah. Like we didn't realize how much of a freak he was because now he's forty five years old and he's throwing bombs every play. Yeah. Like that arm strength is insane. Rogers, the crazy thing is he let his ego go. Yes, and he's just like, yo, I'm gonna play in the offense and I'm yeah. gonna kill big people. Uh, I think that's insane. And but the thing with Allen was just like the inv- the advancements from eighteen nineteen to twenty, exactly. the accuracy. I talked about this a lot. Throwing to his right. Yes. He can just he can just kind of he doesn't always get his feet set throwing to the right. Right. And most quarterbacks who are who are who are who are righties don't. It's hard to flip your hips all the way around. So you have to use a lot of arm. 
but now he can control just the arm and get yes. the ball accurately on like crossing routes to 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 his you know really good receiving core now. So I, he's just been he's been a an unbelievable emergence uh, this past season. We t- we talked about that throw to Diggs in the Colts game where he he pumps the the safety and then like his feet are parallel to the line. That's exactly what you're talking about, right? Me about that throw. That's not real. It's not a real throw. <laughs> like that. Like what are you what are you supposed to do? Like what, what? How do you defeat that? How do you like deal with that? And that, that's the funny thing about the Colts game. Like the Colts had I thought had a good game plan, and and I tweeted about this where they you you play your lines deeper because you're like, hey, we'll play our safety line and like our cornerback line deep. Mm-hmm. And then that intermediate line of linebackers or like other underneath players, we play that deeper too, till we can squeeze the deep and intermediate space because that's where Josh Allen wants to throw the football. Right. He's not going to throw the ball short. That's not what he does. You know, quick game is dead. Forget about it. Quick game in the whole the world has de- a deleted quick game from their mind. So don't even <laughs> talk to me about quick game. And then like, so that's what you do. That's how you stop Josh Allen. But the thing is, with Josh, what's crazy, you can't tackle this guy. Yeah. He just yeah. gets out of the backfield, and now you're playing zone defense. What are you going to do? You're not st- you're not sticking to receivers. He gets out of the pocket. There's all these holes, even though you would condense the space during the structure of the play. Yeah. Now there's all these holes, and he's and he's accurate at hitting guys on the sideline. It, it's honestly incredible. It, is he is he like the this like unbelievable processor of information and he's and wow. he's Peyton Manning probably not right. but like that, that skill set and, and now the accuracy combined is tremendous I don't have the numbers on this but I think his quarterback rating when rolling to his right is about 1,000 give or take <laughs> no I think those, those are PFF agrees those are the, the exact uh, numbers <laughs> see that's why that's why you need PFF ultimate and I'm just waiting for my login credentials Seth <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us here on the SB Nation NFL show. This was supposed to be like eight to ten minutes, but I have such a good time talking ball with you that screw it. This is going to be like the bulk of the show. So I really appreciate you coming in and and giving us the time here to talk about all this. Uh, Let the gentle listeners know where they can find you, your work, your podcast, all that stuff, man. Plug whatever you want. You could find me at Tim Hortons in about ten minutes because I'm going to go get a coffee. There, uh, PFF underscore more. Seth uh, is the at. I've muted all Twitter notifications after the Justin Herbert is- incident, so like <laughs> you can add me. I ain't gonna see it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. PFF.com. I got an article about the Ravens needing a receiver uh, in this offseason coming out today. I think it's already out today. Sure. Don't you do it? Oh, the PFF College Football Podcast with me and Deontay Lee. Um, we're gonna start recording. We're, we so it comes out. Thursdays, but I think we're going to actually change that. It's going to come out Tuesdays during the offseason. Well, make up your mind, Seth, and thank you for <laughs> stopping by to talk, man. I appreciate you. <laughs> and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. And we are back here on the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 20, the SB Nation NFL show, bringing it to you. So, Kyle, we talked some Brandon Staley. We talked some Philip Rivers, Patrick Mahomes. And normally when we do this, I break down the top quarterback performances of the week and we get all in depth on those and whatnot. We're going to change things up for the show since I used like all of my nerd tokens on the Galena Staley spot, uh, which I've been wanting to do for a while. So I'm glad we had an excuse to do it. And, and really that the quarterback play in the divisional playoffs, like outside of Aaron Rodgers, wasn't much to sneeze at. Like you run down the list, 
Josh Allen was perfectly fine, but also battled like massive wins and was still aggressive, pushing the ball down the field. One of the most aggressive A dots of the divisional slate. So his impact was limited from a passing perspective, but still got the job done. I mentioned it on a Monday Football Monday, but Baker Mayfield wasn't bad either, but he was the opposite of Josh Allen, had the lowest A dot during the weekend, only 5.5 yards per attempt. Uh, the only person who went for less was Drew Brees and his surgically repaired over-the-hill shoulder that's being held together by Chinese newspaper clippings and Apple cores. Uh, Patrick Mahomes did enough when he was in there to build the lead, but it wasn't particularly special uh, from him, despite some high points. Jared Goff was fine, but like he literally didn't do anything. Like You go down the list, and it's hard to really find one that stands out beyond Aaron Rodgers, who threw for 296 yards, two touchdowns, looked in full command of the offense. When you look at this remaining group of four quarterbacks, Rodgers, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and I guess maybe we'll throw in Chad Henney in there. God help us. But <laughs> who, who do you think enters the conference championships playing the best ball right now? It has to be Josh Allen, man, just the way that he's – and obviously Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Nobody's going to take okay. anything away from him. But those are the two guys. So the way that – what Josh Allen has done I think has been the most impressive just because the Ravens are going to ugly – make every game ugly. And they tried to make that game as ugly as possible. And Josh Allen just didn't flinch really. He kept – the Ravens, as we talked about, they're going to blitz. They're going to blitz. They're going to come at you. And he was never phased. He continued to make free rushers miss, and he continued to make plays down the field. So everything we've seen from him over the last month and a half or so, he looks like very, he's playing at an MVP level. So it, it's tough to think that all of a sudden against the Chiefs, he's not going to play like that anymore. So I think Josh Allen and then Aaron Rodgers, man, what he did against the Rams, a very, very good defense, probably the best defense in the NFL. You would you would have no idea, by the way, Aaron Rodgers played in that game, man. He's not yeah. fair. Um, he's going to. So, I mean, those are those are the two best quarterbacks. I think that both of them are going to actually perform even better this week because I think that the Chiefs are going to have some issues with containing Allen, and I also think that the Bucks are going to have some coverage busts that Rodgers is going to be able to take advantage of. So, those two, and and you know, it, it all depends on Mahomes' health as well because at the same time, I think that the Ravens had some had a lot of plays that they could have taken advantage with the Bills, but they didn't take advantage, whether it was Greg Roman, whether it was Lamar leaving plays on the field. So that's not going to happen with Patrick Mahomes. So look out for that. But those are the three, really. And then, I mean, Tom Brady, he he just had 500, you know, he had like four games in a row where he threw for 500 yards. So that's no slouch by any means. But I just think the other the other guys are playing on another level than he is. How about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's Aaron Rodgers and, and, and Seth had the same answer, but at the same time, he went like on a long tangent about Josh Allen and I, and I agree. Like it's Aaron for me, but I don't think it matters because I think Allen, yeah. you know, obviously limited by the wind and everything that was going on there and still being aggressive and all that playing against a, a really good defense. I, I just think Allen's going to come out and, and ball against this Chiefs defense. It's going to look like the total opposite of what, uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, looked like. And like I said, Baker didn't play bad, but like he didn't, he didn't do enough. I think Josh Allen is capable of doing enough and really making this an interesting game. So these quarterbacks, I mean, they, they enter these games, all of them pretty, pretty doggone hot. And like three of them are going to be the top three MVP vote getters. And Tom Brady knows a thing or two about big games. So that's going to be fascinating to watch. Kyle. Let's get into your three defensive uh, MVPs of the divisional slate as we do every week. We go from each level. We go from the trenches to the linebackers to the defensive backs. Who impressed you in the trenches in the divisional slate? Yeah, it wasn't a great week for defensive linemen. I'm going with Matt Judon from the Ravens. Mm. He stood out the most. I think Judon had one pressure where he came free on a stunt, but Josh Allen did what Josh Allen does, and he avoided him, scrambled, and threw for a first down. That pretty much summed up the weekend for defensive linemen yeah. for me. 
Judon, he did have a couple more wins in the game, and he had the big sack in the second quarter where he had a sack fumble off the edge. I think that was the best play of the game. The Ravens really needed to recover that bad boy. Did not happen, and we saw how that, you know, their offense went for the rest of the game. But uh, Judon finished that game with six total pressures, and he had that. He had three run stops. Uh, he, he did all he could for Baltimore, and he also played some solid run defense. So that was the most impressive player in the trenches for me. And he was a guy that we touched on last week, kind of, when we were talking about the top, you know, pending free agents yeah. for each remaining playoff team. Him and uh, Yannick Ngalkwe there as the pass rushers there in Baltimore. So that's a promising sign for Judon as he looks to get paid either by the Ravens or by another team. As we go to the second level, actually, before we do that, just a quick note, it does look like the Bucks. we're not sure, but it looks like the Bucks are going to be getting Vita Vea back in the defensive line, which is going to be massive for them because they were one of the best. Well, actually, they were the best run defense in the NFL when he was healthy. Things kind of fell apart for them against the run after he departed. And I really think that defense is tied together by him up front and what he's able to do as a no. So that would be big if they could get him back and healthy for this game. Not sure exactly if he's going to be 80% or 100%, but just having him out there as as the tank that he is should be a difference maker for them. And as we talk about the Bucks, let's go to the second level because I think it's obvious who the linebacker of the week was. In fact, he called his shot against the Saints before he put it away. Kyle. Tell me about Devin White from the Tampa Bay Bucks. Devin White would love to have Vita Vea back this week. I can yes. promise you that. <laughs> uh, first of all, love calling this shot. Love players talking trash in general. We should have more of that, please. So, Devin, keep that up. Uh, so, you missed the wild card round, but he made his presence felt against the Saints. Uh, he plays with, like, a level of intensity and borderline recklessness that makes it so easy to fall in love with him. White had 11 tackles on the day, and he finished – I believe he had six of those were stops – he was targeted five times and only allowed 24 yards, and he had that interception against Breeze. Breeze had a 32.5 passer rating when targeting White. His speed just allows him to get from point A to point B in a blink of an eye. And that was exhibited on a couple of tackles near the line of scrimmage early on in the game. And what you saw in that game was when White hits you, you're going backwards. Like, he hits you with force. So White was the most impressive linebacker, just flying around all day, making plays. Uh, he had a call. He missed a couple tackles, but he also slipped a couple blocks and made allowed his other teammates to make plays. So yeah, hopefully he, they get Vita Vea back because their rushing numbers when he was playing were mm. like through the roof. They were better than what the Rams' numbers were, and the Rams were like really, really good. So yeah, I, I'm excited to see Vita Vea, and hopefully we can see him versus Corey Lindsley. That'd be a battle. Yeah, with, with Vita Vea, man. Like I, I really want to stress this. Like they look like they had like the best run fits of any defense in NFL yeah. history there for a stretch. I mean, they, they, they really, really did. And uh, Devin White, of course, now going up against the Green Bay Packers against the uh, the first time they met. He had uh, nine tackles and seven run stops, which I believe was his second highest total of the year. So he was really active in the run game, will be even more active if Vita Vea is, in fact, in there against the Packers. So let's go to the third level of the defense. And Kyle, for this one, I mean, this is a guy that every time he makes a play, like, I feel like he's underrated, but every time he makes a play, like, Twitter explodes. Like, maybe it's just, yeah. like, the smart, like, football, football guys that get it. Uh, but tell me who you like from the secondary this this divisional round. It's the honey badger, man. Tyron yeah. Matthew, he's been the same player since his freshman year at LSU. Seriously. Like, he, yes. he, he does. it seems like he does this every game. So, he finished the game with seven tackles, and he had two stops in coverage. Matthew was targeted six times. Guess how many yards he gave up, Michael Kiss? Mm. Six times, I'm going to go with hmm, 11 yards. He gave up negative five yards. 
I thought I was going super low. Okay. Not sure how that's possible, but he made it happen. <laughs> uh, the interception that he had on Baker was again, that like that was LSU Matthew where he's reading the quarterback's eyes. He comes off a route and he jumps in front of the ball. So he, uh, Baker had a 30.6 passer rating when targeted Honey Badger. Mm. And then he, he probably should have had another interception, but on the, where, he broke a or he jumped a out route against Jarvis Landry, but he just kind of bobbled the ball. So uh be careful, Josh Allen. That is not somebody who you want to play with. And speaking of the Bills, I, I'm kind of curious to see if they let Matthew guard Cole Beasley in the same way that they let Honey Badger guard Jarvis Landry because he erased him. He completely took him out of the game. And outside of the things that we can quantify, it feels like Matthew just always does his job. There was a jet sweep early in the game where Matthew just flew up forced him to cut back inside, and that was a tackle for loss for, you know, one of his other teammates. So he's just always making plays like that. He's, as you said, football guy doing the right thing. And uh, <laughs> it feels like he's going to get a turnover in this game just yeah. because it's a big game and he always has in every big game of his career. So like him versus Josh Allen is going to be a really, really fun battle. I was actually thinking about that because I know there was, there was a point in the Ravens game where it looked like from the pre-snap alignment, at least to the Bills anyway, that they were going to run a trap coverage on the Bills and they were smart enough to call a timeout. Honey Badger is that instinctual guy that's going to be able to see these things and it might just freelance and do these things on the fly. Like he's not always where you expect him to be. Like I'm not going to compare him to Ed Reed, but Ed Reed was always kind of like that freelancer and like Troy Palomar was the same way with like Chris Hope trying to like react to t- what Troy Troy was doing and then adjust his defensive assignment after the fact. So they got to be sound if uh, if Honey Badger is going to be doing that and, and recognizing that and covering up for that. But it can lead to some really big plays. And look, I don't care if you bend break or whatever, but give me turnovers. And that's going to be huge if Honey Badger can, can get those because what we feel is probably going to be a high scoring game. Uh, all those possessions absolutely matter. Field position will, will matter if you're able to set your offense up inside the 50. So keep an eye out for that this weekend. Honey Badger against Josh Allen and Mental Warfare. Kyle, uh, anything else you're looking forward to for the, for this weekend? Or are we uh, we good here? I saw I just saw a funny tweet about Tom Brady being a warm weather quarterback and not being able not being <laughs> able to hold up in Lambeau Field. So there's I feel like there's no better way to end this on that. Hopefully, hopefully you're uh, you're ready for the cold, Tom. I know you've never played in that before. I mean, blood thinning is a myth, by the way. It's a scientific myth. So him being and even if even if it was real. He's been in Tampa Bay for not even a full year. You think his blood has been that freaking much? Good Lord. Oh, the takes. The love takes, him. Kyle. We love All right. Him. Yes, we do live for him. So that's going to do it for the Palpably Unfair Podcast Episode 20 brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. We thank you for stopping by. Uh, keep an eye out for that daily kickoff tomorrow morning. And then also, you've got the look ahead with RJ Ochoa and Rob Stats Guerrera. In the meantime... Go dominate and have yourselves a day.